1986, the Professor Emeritus of History and Literature of Religion at New York University wrote that, quote, There are at least two types of game. One could be called finite, the other infinite. A finite game is played for the purpose of winning. An infinite game for the purpose of continuing the play. The author was James Cass, and he has something rather useful to teach us about role-playing games. If you say the real life fills up your days and you don't have time to play, well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase. And you need a rescue, Chase coming at you with a rescue, a role-play rescue. Chase gonna help my friend. Let's sit down to game. Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby. Today I want to talk about Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Cass. This book is often quoted in business circles even though it was very much a text of philosophy and social commentary and I kind of think it's likely that most people who refer to it probably never got out of chapter one not because the rest isn't much use because it very much is but because the opening sections are the most easily quoted but anyway my purpose today is to discuss a phenomenon that troubles me everywhere i look i see people treating role-playing games as a finite game to my mind while that is perfectly valid treating an rpg as a finite game largely misses the bigger opportunity This is Season 9, Episode 18, Return to the Infinite Game. If I have a manifesto for gaming, the biggest assertion I want to make is a simple one. Of all the marvellous games available for us to enjoy in our spare time, the fantasy role-playing game has the greatest value as an infinite game. And yet, as I survey the games I play in and the games I run, what I see is the finite game. While Cast begins by asserting that, quote, a finite game is played for the purpose of winning, an infinite game for the purpose of continuing the play, end quote, he goes on to add that finite games are externally defined. They have boundaries of space and time, numerical boundaries, conditions of victory or loss, means of ranking the players, and clear rules of play which differentiate this finite game from that finite game over there. I see RPGs played within limited boundaries of real and imagined space. Games are run for set periods of time, for this number of sessions and they'll run until we have finished this adventure or that one shot. They involve only a limited number of players over their short, finite periods of play. Games are bound to specific worlds and defined as being played with this or that set of game rules. And there is nothing wrong with finite games. I love a good, definite game, and I was arguing just last week that playing in what is probably the most finite of all RPG scenarios, the combat, was as valid as the most sprawling campaign of untold years and multiple universes. 
But the main difference is that infinite games are played for the purpose of continuing the play. And that is the potential I feel we are often missing with role-playing games. Instead of one-shots and short-lived games, why not aim for something different? Why not give up the limitations of thinly-veiled victory conditions, of trying out this set of rules and then that set of rules, of finishing this or that adventure, or of defeating this or that villain, of running to the end of this particular storyline, or of reaching level 20 or tier 6? An infinite game is played because we want to keep on playing. For the quality of that play, for the purpose of keeping the play going, and I think that might be very much a richer experience than we might realise. I believe that the magic of the original publication of Dungeons & Dragons back in 1974 was that the earliest players could sense and were enjoying an infinite game. This stood in stark contrast to the finite wargaming from which roots these new games arose. The earliest issues of Alarms and Excursions reveal the reaction of the admixture of science fiction fandom and wargamers to the advent of D&D. There was curiosity and befuddlement. There were suggestions as to how to play the arcane and rather incomplete box of rules. And there was an explosion of creative energy. People played in each other's games. They mixed up their own brews of the rules. They suggested variants. And they quickly realised the infinitely extendable nature of the game. Worlds became entangled together into the multiverse of many worlds as players and referees alike took characters, monsters, spells, items and more from one campaign to another. Problems arose, of course, but the culture was one of collaboration and discovery. They were playing an infinite game. I further believe that, in order to reach a wider audience and to monetize D&D, Gygax set about placing boundaries around the game of Dungeons & Dragons so that he could regain control of what, very early on, ran away with the community as an infinite game. Because business is itself a finite game, these new games needed to also become finite games that we could package up and sell. The first effective attempt to limit the game, to place careful boundaries around it, came, as far as I can tell, from Gygax's publication of what is now known as Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Thus arrived the curated rules for competition play. Here was the bounded finite game that allows us to have winners and losers, the convention game that gave birth to the killer dungeon module. It was the advent of the bounded product that Gygax could market and sell and it suited the majority of us because we are so used to games being synonymous with finite victory conditions. Gygax had been beating down, as just one example, the unlimited high-level play of earlier years and instead codified the upper reaches of experience attainment in the game. He railed against all who would do things differently to his vision of D&D, and not because he was a bad person, but because he needed to limit the game as a product so that he could sell it. And we've been playing one variation or another of that game product ever since. 
Here though, let me pause again to reiterate. There is nothing wrong with AD&D or any other named, defined, particular set of game rules that we choose to play. Neither is there anything wrong with limiting the boundaries of our play in other ways, to only play in Faron or Glorantha or 1920s New York, or to play in a so-called traditional style instead of with a more freeform style. It's all good fun, and it's all finite fun. Most people seem to be comfortable within the bounds of their chosen games, and that's perfectly fine with me. Of course, unlike with a war game or most other finite games, we don't usually talk about winners or losers in a role-playing game. But we do speak of campaigns ending, or of adventures being completed, or of reaching level 20 and stopping. We plan for 6, 12, 20 or 50 sessions. Each time we have limited the game, and that's fine. I've been doing it for years, and I probably won't entirely stop. But I do think that, rather uniquely, among the genre of games we commonly play for fun, the role-playing game holds the greatest potential for infinite play. For playing for the purpose of continuing the play. And while I'm only going to begin to scratch the surface of how we might do that here in one episode, I want to call out what I perceive to be a truth. The spirit of D&D at the beginning was in providing the first guiding rules for playing an infinite fantasy role-playing game. And it's that spirit that I've been yearning to recover for too many years. So what would be the difference between playing RPGs in a finite manner and playing the infinite game? In truth, I feel that the nature of an infinite game must mean that there is no one answer to that question, for reasons that I hope will become apparent shortly. That said, I think three steps will get us on a different path, and it's a path that I invite you to consider. The first step is to change the reason we are playing the game. The second is to change the attitude we hold towards the rules of the game. And the third is to open up the scope of the game. Let's take these in turn. Step 1. An infinite game is played for the purpose of continuing the play, so we must take up this attitude towards the game. Each session exists to facilitate the play and there are no limits to how many sessions of play the game may be played. The game has no defined end. We play to continue the play. It's important to understand that within an infinite game you can have finite games which form part of the play. For example, in a role-playing game we might play the finite game of combat in which there are winners and losers. But that finite game is a means to the end of allowing the players to continue the play. We don't have fights as an end in themselves. This is totally different to my pitch for combat-only play last episode. We can have other finite games inside the infinite game. The sub-game of character generation, the sub-game of trade the sub-game of interaction between political rivals in the fantasy kingdom. Many, many possibilities exists, but the finite games are, by their nature, only part of the infinite game. Each time we enter a new finite game inside the larger infinite game, the purpose is to continue the play. 
This will undoubtedly have other consequences which will need discovery as we go. So yeah, everyone who chooses to play must have the willingness to play with the purpose of continuing the play. Players can change as long as new players take up their mantle to continue. Characters will change, but new characters will replace them. Even worlds can change if we so choose. There are no limits to our play. If we pause the game, that is okay. We can pick it up again at any time because there is no end point. The game can outlive us all. Step two, we need to shift the attitude we have towards the rules of the game. As Cass posits in a finite game, quote, the rules must be published prior to play and the players must agree to them before play begins, end quote. This is the way it is today for most of us. We are playing D&D or we are playing Pathfinder or GURPS or Dungeon World, whatever. By way of an alternative, quote, the rules of an infinite game must change during the course of play. The rules are changed when the players of an infinite game agree that the play is imperiled by a finite outcome, that is, by the victory of some players and the defeat of others, end quote. For me, this is the true meaning of the so-called rule zero. Not that the referee gets to change the rules to suit their whim, but that the players, all of them, can agree to change the rules to facilitate the primary aim of the game, to continue the play. And by the rules, I mean to interpret Carsters' general word to include all three elements of the system of play in RPGs. The mechanisms of play the methodology of play, and the world we imagine for play. To restate Rule Zero, the rules, methods, and even the world of the game can change if the players collectively agree to change them. The purpose of the game is to continue to play. We are playing for the enjoyment of the play, not to win. This attitude opens us up to include different players with different styles of play. As long as the player who prefers to win doesn't jeopardise the continued play of the infinite game, I do believe that the infinite game can include that player who wants to win one or more of the finite games contained within the larger infinite game. Thus, our play can be inclusive. It is fluid. It's ever-evolving. Step 3. We need to open up the scope of the game. The game shifts from being about this particular set of victory conditions or this particular outcome, say finishing this campaign or reaching level 20, as just some simple examples. And the infinite game can include anything that the players of the game choose to include for the purpose of continuing the play. Thus, we're not bound to a particular world or time period. We might find enough space in such places and temporal scope, but we are not bound by it. It is not bad play to change world or shift in time. The game is bigger. It has no boundaries because the purpose is to continue the play. The play is the thing, as the bard suggests. An infinite game is enjoyed for its own sake, to extend the play or to go where we collectively choose to go. We might choose traditional or different methods, this or those rules, and here or then. As long as we remember the purpose to continue the play, we are playing in an infinite game. D&D &D plus all her spiritual children have this potential. 
It's up to us to decide to play for the enjoyment of playing, to keep the whole thing playing, because the play is the purpose. If role-playing games, like all other choices for human activity and art, if they have a tribe of people who play them, then I suppose I'm seeking the clan within the tribe who are interested in the infinite game. Discovering these people will probably arise by both discussing the difference, as I am today, but also in simply including players and letting them self-select in or out. In any game, you can play until you no longer choose to play. Usually, people stop playing when they don't want to expend the resources needed to play. In our case, with RPGs, that will be the expenditure of time and the smaller cost in monetary investment on dice, pencils, paper and such. The stuff we need to play the game. If people don't enjoy the game, they will choose to stop playing. Thus, logically, I can include anyone as long as I make it clear that the goal of play is to continue to play. In the truest sense, the infinite RPG is played to find out what happens, to keep playing. People who want to win will not want to keep playing because there can be no winner. It's not that kind of game, and I think that's just fine. Finite games are a different kind of fun. Thus, I guess I'm going to think about changing the way I play my games. To take step one is a personal choice, to play with the purpose of continuing to play. I can turn up to each session, I can play with the intent to facilitate more play, and I can stop trying to win and enjoy the consequences of my playing. To me, that sounds like a really exciting challenge. Whether people join in is completely up to them. In the final analysis, I guess I am advocating investing in the long game, the infinite game. The game that can, at least in theory, never end because no one is going to let it stop being played. We might pause for a week or two or six or more, but we can pick up where we left off. The game awaits us. Game on. Rescue! What are people saying about the Dungeon Master's Diary? From my perspective, I think that the Dungeon Master's Diaries are ruminating on the questions that you want to ask, uh, building up to the main episodes that are the answers. Uh, So they're sort of different sides of the same coin. Personally, I think the the most fun segments are the sort of game recap segments in a lot of ways. Hearing you talk about kind of the 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 practice of gaming more than because I feel like I feel like the um, the sort of main role play rescue content is very like theory and all that sort of stuff, and so it's a neat kind of 
um, blend to have the sort of practice of gaming on the Dungeon Master's Diary and then the theory of gaming on the sort of main episodes. So personally, that's something that I really enjoy. And I really enjoy, especially when I've been in a game with you, hearing about your experience of the game, what you felt like worked, what you felt like didn't, all of that sort of stuff. So that's always fun for me and a big part of why I listen to Dungeon Master's Diary. I find them really, really useful. Um, for me, it's quite good to see, I guess, the human side of you. That possibly sounds a bit wrong, but you know what I mean? It's like the real you, not just the person who's presenting a podcast talking about the theory, but also what you're going through in your day-to-day. And it's good to hear it from the point of view that sometimes your concerns and the feelings that you have kind of mirror my own. Um, it's always interesting to hear, I guess, a little bit about where you're coming from and the experiences you have. And I don't know, I find all that stuff very useful because it's nice to see the human side of people. And I quite value sort of hearing some of your thought process as well about, you know, what you're doing, what you're not doing. You know, I like listening to my friend Che talk and like to hear what he has to say. That's why I listen to Dungeon Master Diary. To find out more, come to patreon.com slash rpgrescue. And that's about it for today. So thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks also are due to TJ Duran and John Cohen for the music. Thank you to Anchor for airing and distributing the podcast. And thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons for their ongoing, untiring support. If you have questions, please feel free to drop me a message via anchor.fm slash rpgrescue. Just go on there and hit the message button, or you can email your sound recording directly to hello at rpgrescue.com. I do like to play listener calls and gather them together into bonus episodes so I can answer the questions people ask. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for joining us, and I'll see you next weekend. All the best in the meantime. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on.